Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is a video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 1. This is lesson number 10 in this series, uh, and the focus of Part 1 is um, why do we do what we do as Christians, as believers, as workers in the field of the Lord's harvest as ministers of the word. Uh, why do we do what we do? What's our motive? What's our reason for doing that? This is lesson number 10. It's the final lesson of this part. And so some of this will be summary. Some of it won't be. Uh, the focus of this final lesson of part one is ministry and motives. So in this lesson, I, I, I want to specifically refer to our involvement with God in his kingdom, why we're doing it, why we're doing it. There, it is possible, it is possible to uh, be involved with God and the th things of God because we're called to it. But our yielding to God's call is that we're doing it for what we can get out of it. Maybe we're looking for a, a living, and some would consider a cushy living, where you only have to work uh, two days a week, right? Because you're, that's the only days you have to preach. The rest of the time, you can fish or hunt or play golf or invest in uh, the market or whatever else we may do, right? Uh, and not saying any of those things are wrong but they are not our priority and we're not called of God to do that and just preach a couple of times a week. Uh, our walk with God is 24 seven. Therefore our, our availability to him for him to minister through us must be 24 seven. If our ministry is only defined, but what we, by what we do as a part of religious activities, whether Sunday school or uh, youth services or a church service or a ladies' meeting or a men's meeting or whatever, if that's if that's the only way our Christianity is defined and our ministry is defined by what we do as a part of those things, or maybe maybe you're a Bible study teacher, or maybe you are a bus worker, or maybe you do other things, maybe you lead the prayer. Uh, and all of that, all of that's important. All of that's good. I'm not saying anything negative about all that. The question is why? What, what do, do I have any motive of what I'm going to get out of this? So in the beginning of this particular lesson, I want to look at a couple of, uh, a couple of negative motives that I have observed in my 51 years in the ministry. Uh, the most damning, the most negative, the most harmful to the kingdom is the motive of self-promotion. One of the most blatant examples of that is found in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses, verse 20. <clears throat> uh, then came they to him, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, that's James and John, with her sons, with her sons. She didn't come by herself. Her sons came with her, worshiping him. That started out good. 
and desiring a certain thing of him. So they came to worship as a prelude to set him up to ask something of him. Well, okay. Uh, I don't know that in and of itself is a bad thing, but he said unto her, what wilt thou? She saith unto him. Now, she's standing there with her two grown sons, and she's doing the talking. They're not. Really? (laughs) What wilt thou? Jesus said to her. She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Now, I love my mother. She is not with us anymore. She passed in 2012. But I knew when she believed I had arrived in the ministry because she stopped being Sister Merle Wright. She wouldn't have dinner. I heard her do it, much to my embarrassment. She did not, she did not introduce herself to people as Sister Merle Wright, which she had been all my life. But now she is Brother Chester Wright's mother. And okay, okay, I understand. She's my mother. She's proud, all of that. But uh, that's not her identity. I remember as a child, a small child, my dad was overseas. She'd take my brother and I into the bathroom and close the door so she knew we where we were, and she would kneel at the, the tub and pray. That's one of my earliest memories of my mother is being locked in the bathroom with her and we could do whatever we wanted to do, I guess, as long as we didn't climb in the commode. But we would play on the floor in the bathroom and she'd kneel the tub and pray. She, she was the one going to church. She took me to church. When did her identity change? And I, again, I'm not faulting my mother. I, I understand she's a mother. And I read this about uh, the mother of Zebedee's children. So this is Zebedee's wife, the mother of uh, James and John. And she doesn't ask for a place for herself because it would fulfill her mission in life to, to whatever degree she believed it would if she could just persuade Jesus to let her two sons be the two, two seated closest to him in his kingdom. Now, uh, listen to how Jesus handled this. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. Now, apparently, she didn't come to Jesus privately with her two sons. Apparently, he was there in the presence of all of his disciples. Because the next verse says, And when the ten heard it, the other ten of the twelve, when the uh, the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation 
against the two brethren. <laughs> what, what a little scenario we've got going on here. It's like uh, the, the parents being upset because their children aren't asked to sing a special in church. Why, why is so-and-so's kid getting to sing and not my kid? It didn't have anything to do with God or worshiping God or ministering. It had anything to do with that. It had to do with FaceTime and being in front of people and getting adulation and glory. Really? Yeah. Uh, why is so-and-so sitting on the platform with the pastor and I'm not? I got a job. I got an office. Why am not? I not asked to sit there. When we pervert the purpose of his call to keep track of how we're being promoted or held back instead of being promoted. When we look at somebody else elected to an office and we are not, and we've concluded politics, well, it may be politics, but it may not be. It may be that person doesn't even want that job. They're just trying to do the will of God. It may be they haven't talked to anybody about voting for them. It may be that that job is going to be an inconvenience and they're going to have to rearrange their life to be able to do that job. But the Bible says, unto the pure, all things are pure. Unto the unclean, everything's unclean. So be careful, my friend, how you respond to somebody else's promotion. Because you're going to reveal what's really going on in your heart. Praise God. Why did they get invited to preach that camp meeting? Why did they get invited to preach in that meeting? Let me tell you something right now. (laughs) Getting put up. If it's not God putting you up, it'll be God putting you down. He sets one up. He sets another down. If I'm promoting myself, and I'm using him and his divine call upon my life to promote myself, I'm in serious trouble with Jesus. I'm in trouble with Jesus. And I can count on him working against what I'm doing. Now, not immediately, because out of love and his his desire to be able to use us, he's going to talk to us. He's going to try to talk to us. He's going to have us be in places where people preach against that. He's going to have friends hint. Maybe your wife or your husband will say, now, you need to check your motive there. Oh, who are you? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because he's going to try to get our attention. But if he can't get our attention, he's going to take the puff out. Let me tell you something right now. There's one thing God is really, really, really good at, and that's taking the puff out. He's really good at doing it, really good. And he's got ways, like he did with Paul, and I'm not saying Paul was puffed up, but in order to keep him from being puffed up, Paul said that he was given a messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him because of the abundance of the revelations. So if I'm promoting myself, God's going to take care of it. Oh, 
in his patience, he may let it go. Because the scripture says in Ecclesiastes, because, because sentence against an evil work is not uh, executed speedily. The hearts of the sons of men are fully set in them to do evil. The, Peter said, Second Peter 3, we need to count the long suffering of God's salvation. Just because he's letting us continue to do what we're doing doesn't mean it's okay with him. He's trying gently and kindly as his deal, as a father deals with his children to get our attention, to help us. Because he doesn't want to have to, to take the puff out of you where it hinders your ministry so you're no longer effective in doing your part in the kingdom. He won't have to do that. So he tries to deal with it between you and him. He tries to deal with it privately. He tries to deal with it so he can teach and change and train you and, and help you to grow in him and, and he can purify and, 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 and make sure our motives are what is pleasing to him. But if we don't, not good. Not good. One other situation I want to read quickly. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 33. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them, what, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way, meaning as they traveled on the way, they disputed among themselves as they were walking along, following him, who should be the greatest. So he knew what they were doing. He waited when they got to the house that they were going to be, and he did this privately. <laughs> he did this in the house and stood in front of everybody. He said, what were you, what were you arguing about? We were on this path. Uh, they didn't say nothing. He said, uh, he sat down and called the 12 and said, and if a man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, last of all and servant of all. <clears throat> and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. So he won't know what they were arguing about. They, they didn't say, but he knew what they were doing. They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. My friend, if that's the, your motive, even if it's your motive but you're not aware of it, you need to beg God to reveal your motive. So your motive can be pure because you want God to deal with you privately. Like he did with the disciples in the house. You don't want him to deal with you publicly because you forced him to. He will not give his glory to another. Another motive I have seen and I have actually participated in, uh, is the pride of self preservation, the motive of self preservation. I'm just going to read it. There's three different places where uh, this is, and I could give you the scripture, but I'm not only going to read one passage, uh, one text. Matthew chapter 7, verse 39. And as they, as they passed by, he was hanging on the cross. Jesus was hanging on the cross. As they passed by, they reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him, 
with the scribes and the elders said, he saved others himself. He cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And Mark said something similar in Mark 15, 29 through 32. And Luke said, wrote something similar in Luke 23, 34 through 37. All three places have the phrase, he saved others himself. He cannot say. My friend, if you're a child of God, you're doing the work of God. You're a conduit of God. If you edit what God is wanting to say through you, either in what he's wanting to say it and how he's wanting to say it, to preserve yourself, you have displeased God. God knows what needs to be said. He knows how it should be said. If I deign to edit God because I don't want people to think bad of me because of what I've said and how I've said it, I've just demonstrated my motive isn't the glory of God. It's my self-preservation. Because I have now, I've got some kind of promotion. I promoted myself, now I've got some kind of promotion. Or maybe God promoted me, but now I'm trying to preserve myself and my promotion. So I'm doing the motive of self-preservation. And how do I do that? I edit what God's told me to say, what God told me to do. I've changed that. I alter it so that it's more palatable to people so they will like me and not be angry with me. Wrong motive. That's a wrong motive. Another thing. What would happen if the guy with one talent had been humble enough to ask for help from either of the two, either the guy with two or the guy with five talents? The guy with one was cast in outer darkness, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. He was cast in outer darkness. Why? Because the Lord invested in him as well as the other two. In fact, uh, Matthew 25, 15 says, uh, I'll read verse 14. And for the kingdom of God is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Now, he gave to them according to their abilities. They had equal responsibility before God. The five produced five. The two produced two. The one only had to produce one. He didn't have to produce five. He didn't have to produce two. We're only accountable to God for the gifts he's given us. We're only accountable to God for the opportunities he's given us. I'm not accountable for somebody else's gift. I'm not accountable for somebody else's opportunities. I'm only accountable to God for me to do his will with what he's entrusted me with. But what if, what if I don't have the ability of the guy with two and the guy with five? 
and I want to make sure I please the Father. What if I was humble enough to ask help from the other two? Would either one of those two not helped him? I don't believe that at all. I believe that the guy with two or the guy with five would have helped him. But what's our problem? He didn't ask for help, even though he was afraid. He was afraid he was going to fail. He was afraid that he was going to be in trouble with the master when he returned. And so he hid his talent, trying to preserve the talent because he was trying to preserve himself. He didn't want to fail. And he didn't want to be rejected. So he chose failure and he chose rejection because he rejected the father, attributing that to the father. And it's not true. He made the father out to be a hard man. And the father says, okay, I'm going to judge you by the way you've judged me. By whatever measure you've measured me with, I'm going to measure with you with the same. And you failed. Bind him, hand him, foot, cast him in outer darkness. And take what he had and give it to the guy with 10. Because what you think you have that you're not faithful with, God's going to give it to the one that's being faithful. Ooh, we don't like that, do we? No. No, we don't. But the bottom line is, (sighs) God expects me to be humble enough to not be an island unto myself. Every person is accountable for what's been entrusted to them. But nobody, the Lord never said, I couldn't seek for truth or help from somebody else. We're we're our brother's keeper. We're members of the same body. If my hand's in trouble and the rest of my body doesn't help that hand, then the whole body's going to be in trouble. If my hand is hurting and it's got an infection and the rest of the body won't deal with that infection in that hand, then that infection is going to travel up the connected parts of the body and could eventually become gangrene and kill the whole body. So we're all in this together. He didn't ask for help because he wanted to do it himself, but he acknowledged he couldn't do it himself. The Lord said, the least you could have done, which proves the Lord was willing for him to help get help. The least you could have done. If you didn't believe you could do this yourself, the least you could have done was give my money to the exchangers and I could have had my own with interest. Okay. So you didn't double. So you wouldn't have doubled, but I would have gotten something out of this investment. You, but you did nothing. You didn't ask for help. You didn't even invest my talent with somebody else. What if he said to the guy with two or the guy with five, hey, I don't really have the ability to do this. I'm going to give this talent to you, and I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do with it because I can't do this myself, and I want to please God, and I've been, I have, I'm accountable for this. Will you help me? He could have given it to the, us- the usurers, those that would have lent it out. He could have lent it out. And participated with that loan. He didn't do it. It is a dangerous thing when we're going to do our own thing as a pastor or a small group leader or a daughter work leader or a preaching point leader or a Bible study teacher. We're going to do our own thing. We want to do this ourselves, get our own credit. But if you fail, you fail on your own. 
but you're accountable because you didn't get help. You didn't let anybody help you. Another thing I've observed, and that is demonstration is not a confirmation of consecration. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then Jesus said, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. The Greek word there is, I never knew you in an approved relationship. You never had, you never surrendered to my will. It was never about me. It was always about you. It was always about what people were thinking about you. It was always what people were saying about you. It was always about your opportunities and sparing yourself. It was always about wrong motives. It was never about me and my love. So depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And iniquity here in this context, the Bible to explain it itself is, they did not do the will of the Father. They did the work of the Father. They didn't do the will of the Father. Hello? They used the gifts the Father gave them. And he didn't deny they used those gifts. And he didn't deny their claims of demonstration of those gifts and of the manifestation of those gifts. He didn't deny that. Jesus did not deny that. He just said, uh, your motive is wrong. It was self-will. Self-will. And that's a work of iniquity. I've been told, obviously I wasn't there, <laughs> that at the prophecy, there was a prophecy given during the Azusa Street Revival where the Lord said he would return to a generation that praises a God that they do not pray to. Well, we're into praise. Everybody's got a praise team. Everybody's got a praise band. Everybody can have one, wants, doesn't have one, wants one. Praise, 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 praise. I'm not against praise. I'm not against praise. I'm against prayerless praise. The word of God is against prayerless praise. What's prayerless praise? What's prayerless preaching? Prayerless preaching, prayerless praise. We worship, we praise a God we don't pray to. We preach and represent a God we don't really pray to. We pray to get a message. We pray to preach. We don't pray to know God. We don't pray to be a fellow laborer with God. It's not obviously not everybody. And hopefully, my friend, you're sitting here watching this. None of this applies to you, hopefully. But it does apply to too many. One man said, praise will help you gain ground but prayer will help you sustain ground. Uh, I believe there's some truth to that. I don't believe that praise is the only way to gain ground. I believe prayer is the primary way to gain ground. And prayer is the primary way you sustain ground. And prayer has to be behind every, every uh, thing we do. Prayer has to be behind that. The scripture says that the harvest truly is plenteous. Jesus said it, declared it. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray.
pray as command, imperative tense of command, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth, as King James, send forth laborers into his harvest. The Greek is ekbalo, which is to thrust out, to force out, to compel to go out, laborers into his harvest. My friend, if you and I, if you and I are seeking for prominence rather than seeking to be obedient and participate with him in his field, we want prominence rather than being in his field with him. It's not positive. Proverbs 25 and 6 says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For better it is to be for it is for better it is that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that, that than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thou thine eyes have seen. The message Bible, which is a paraphrase, not a translation, says like this. Don't work yourself into the spotlight. Don't push your way into the place of prominence. It's better to be promoted to a place of honor than face humiliation by being demoted. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Mark chapter 12, 38 through 40, in the Amplified, uh, the 2016 edition says, In the course of his teaching, he, Jesus, was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, displaying their prominence, and like to receive respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And they love the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of distinction and honor at banquets. These scribes who devour, confiscate widows' houses, and offer long prayers for appearance sake to impress others, these men will receive greater condemnation. If you're putting promotion to a place of prominence ahead of doing the will of God and seeking his glory, you're not going to like the outcome of that. You're not going to like the outcome of that. In summary, in summary, I'd like to compare briefly two men. They were both called to ministry, but the ministry they were called to was to be the king of Israel. Let's look quickly at the first king of Israel compared to the second king of Israel. They were God's representative. Before then, Israel was a theocracy, not a monarchy. And as a theocracy, God himself led Israel through a prophet. He would speak to the prophet. The prophet would speak God's word, and Israel would do what the prophet said because God was the one who was their king through them. They wanted a king, so God gave them a king. And the first king, Saul, he was blessed of God for a while. God chose him. God chose him. Supernaturally chose him. God chose him. But, but, he did not do, he, he, he did not do the will of God in that he allowed pleasing man to be his greater priority 
over pleasing God. Once he was king, even though God changed his spirit, I'm not, I don't have the time to go into all that, but it says it. He saw himself as one of the least among the least tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. That was, Benjamin was the smallest tribe and, and, uh, and Saul was from the, one of the smallest houses, families of the small tribe. He saw himself as least. The Lord said to him as he was taking the king away from, kingdom away from him, he said, while you are small in your own eyes, I could use you. Well, when you got elevated in your eyes, couldn't use you anymore. And what happened? What happened? What happened? God put him in the place, but he sought to please people to stay in his role as king. Listen to the words of 1 Samuel 15, 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. My friend, when the pew controls the pulpit, and I'm using religious terminology that I don't even really believe in uh, to communicate so that you would understand my point. When the pew controls the pulpit and leads the pulpit and determines what the pulpit is going to do and say, rather than God leading the people in the pew by what he can say through a yielded servant in that pulpit that's going to say what God wants to say the way he wants it said, uh, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you everything. Here's the example of Jesus. John chapter 6. He said things in John chapter 6 that all those followers, not the crowds, but the followers, they had a hard time with. And they eventually just kind of walked away because they were embarrassed over the things he was saying. You got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. He said stuff knowing that they were going to have a problem with it because it was going to reveal their hearts, really what was in their heart. And finally, he turned to the 12, said, you going away too? You going to leave also? Peter, one of the wise things Peter said during that period of time, he said, to whom shall we go? You're the only one with eternal life. The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What happens when a man of God or anybody speaking the word of God in any situation changes the word to please and appease the hearer rather than faithfully representing to people what God's wanting to say? What happens? going to lose it. He's going to lose his place in God. God is not pleased with that. Not pleased with it. Jesus himself said things. He spoke words that he knew would reveal hearts. And they were following him. And one time he said to him, you're only following me for the fishes and the loaves. You just follow me for the miracles. You just want to be able to go tell what you saw. You're not following me because you know who I am.
because you want to be a part of what I'm doing. Why are we doing what we're doing? And finally, the Bible says of David, Psalm 1 Samuel 13, 14, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. That's Samuel talking to Saul. The Lord had sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord had commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. And then this was confirmed in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Speaking of Saul, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart. And what's the proof he was a man after God's own heart? Which shall fulfill all my will. My friend, are you and I sold out to the will of God? Or do we have a hybrid will we're following? This contaminated will, we've contaminated the will of God and worked our will into that. Wrong motive. Wrong motive. Jesus said the greatest commandment is, Here is the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love is the motive. And how far is that motive supposed to take us in surrender? There's two primary Greek words translated by the word English word all. One is pas, which means all. But the word holos means the entirety of, the whole of. So my surrender to the love, love of God, my faith and trust in the love of God, my desire and willingness for the love of God to be the entirety of my motive is demonstrated because I give the whole of my heart, the whole of my soul, the whole of my mind, the whole of my strength. In Jesus' name, I thank you for watching all of part one of this series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. We've talked about the why, why we do what we do. That's what we've talked about. And I pray in Jesus' name that the Word of God, the Spirit of God, has convicted you like it's convicted me as it's come out of my mouth all over again. The Lord has challenged me all over again by what's come out of my mouth. I pray just this morning again, Father, do not speak things through me that you're not working in me. Do not speak things through me to others that you are not at work in me to produce. I want what's coming out of my mouth. The words he's given me to say, I want those to be the truth, the reality in my life. I pray that what you've heard, that you've received, that you also want these words to be the what defines your life. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak an angelic word, uh, angelic hedge of authority around every heart that's received this teaching, that's heard this teaching, that the seed of this teaching has been sown in your life and your spirit, your heart, that the adversary will not be able to steal this word out of your heart until you're able to hear the word and let the word germinate in your life until it grows up in you and produces the fruit 
of this word not being mine and not being what you've heard from my voice, but word that you have heard from God and it's become yours. In Jesus' name, amen.